This is Real Estate Rookie episode 254. I think another thing, not to just keep coming back to the networking idea, but finding out what other people are doing, that's a huge insight for me is just continuing to talk to everybody in our in our group and seeing what everybody else is doing, um, educating yourself as much as possible. For those that are familiar with the Cromford Report, we follow that. They're very, very highly um, watching the Phoenix market in general. Um, so yeah, just do your education, talk to people, um, and just kind of, you know, stick to the basics. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I want to start today's episode by shouting out someone from the rookie audience. This person goes by the username Mrs. Uh, WEXP agents, uh, but they left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and the review says, fun, informative, and I learned so much about investing and what to avoid from Ashley and Tony. Thank you with an exclamation mark. So if you haven't yet, please do leave us an honest rating review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever it is you're listening. Uh, the more reviews we get, the more folks we can help, and that's always the goal here at the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Tony, every time I'm so impressed that you just riff off that whole <laughs> intro, all I have to do is say... One line is, this is the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. And I just want to point out, she actually messed up on my name today. (laughs) I was Tommy Robinson before before the editors did their thing. Um, Yeah, so we are live in Phoenix. Uh, We are recording in an Airbnb here with our producers. So much fun to be in person. And I did a whole walkthrough, um, so you guys can like get my input on uh, what my thoughts were. This this Airbnb, so I should put that up on her. The stories. toilet paper is not up to Tony's quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a cool place. It's actually our first time in, in in Arizona in general. Really, well, you said you've been to. Mesa. I've been here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my first time in like the Phoenix area, like other than a layover, and it's cool. I'm excited to meet some folks tonight and see what the community. Yeah, is we're going to a meetup uh, here tonight, and we're really excited. We're doing a live podcast recording. Yep. We're bringing on some guests, and one of those guests is Jake. Kane. So we're going to hear a little bit about his story. He's a local investor here in Phoenix, and he's going to help us do some rookie reply questions. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really cool. Jake's had a great story. Um, he's got this really cool superpower of his of kind of getting people together. So we'll talk about how he's doing that. And then we'll get into to some reply questions. So we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, what happens if you're flipping houses and can you use that income to, to buy your property? Uh, we talk about what to do if you've got offers out on multiple properties and how to handle that and a few other great questions as well. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. 
That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Please tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate. Yeah, so I, um, I was actually, it was around 2015, 2016, and I was working at W2 in the civil engineering field. Um, I was actually in my ninth year, uh, final year of my contract with the Arizona Army National Guard. So I was kind of going through a pivotal moment of just trying to figure out what was next for me. And um, luckily, I had a buddy of mine that was kind of in a similar similar situation. And so we were just kind of talking, and he uh, introduced me to Bigger Pockets, and kind of the rest is history. I mean, in, in Arizona, Phoenix is an expensive market, but you found kind of a strategy that's allowed you to add multiple properties in this market. So can you walk the, the listeners through that? Yeah. So we, um, and by we, I mean my wife and I, uh, we, I had a house that um, when I found Bigger Pockets, I bought it in 2014. So I used my VA loan. We were already living in the home. Um, as I was kind of joking earlier, I was just bachelor padding it up. And uh, when she moved in with me, she was kind of like, we're, we're fixing this up. This isn't happening anymore. Um, so that was kind of our starting point. Um, fixed it up, sold that one, and that kind of gave the financial runway to get started. But that also was kind of like our catalyst for, hey, we can really use this um, live and flip idea. And we just started kind of growing from there. So as you think about uh, kind of what you've built, you've also stepped into the world of being an agent. Now you're an investor. Um, you know, Pace and Jamil talked about this a little bit already, but just what's your, what's your quick insight on kind of the market, both from the agent side and as an investor? Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, I think Jamil kind of touched on it. He's just obviously knowing your numbers, being more conservative, um, watching the market. I think Another thing, not to just keep coming back to the networking idea, but finding out what other people are doing. That's a huge insight for me is just continuing to talk to everybody in our in our group and seeing what everybody else is doing, um, educating yourself as much as possible. For those that are familiar with the Cromford Report, we follow that. They're very, very highly um, watching the Phoenix market in general. Um, so yeah, just do your education, talk to people, um, and just kind of you know, stick to the basics. Where do you see yourself going in the next five years? What is your long-term goal for real estate investing? Uh, my mom's retiring in four years. Um, so <laughs> that's like a non-negotiable. So um, yeah, so we're just continuing to scale. We have our, we're about to turn one of our long-term rentals into our first short-term rental. 
Um, we really believe in the small multifamily game, maybe scaling up to some larger multifamily, um, but just growing our portfolio and really getting that cash flow to, um, I think Alex said is just choose to work and not have to work. So what's your advice? Because there's, there's quite a few people in the crowd right now that don't have any deals. Just by show of hands, who here is like a complete rookie still working on that first deal? Clap it up for these guys for coming out because that's, that's always a hard spot to be in, right? So to all those people that just raised their hands, like what's, what's your advice to them on, on what they should be doing to get started? Alex already kind of touched on it, but take action. Um, network, come out to these events. You know, it's, it's going to, for me, it was kind of lonely when you're in your circle of friends. Um, you might be the only one that's excited about real estate, kind of getting into that uncharted water. So come to events, get around people that are doing what you want to do and plug into them, um, bring them value. That way they can kind of pour back into you. And um, yeah, just keep networking and taking action. It might not be perfect, but just keep moving forward. Okay, awesome. And we have a question from the audience. I am a brand new investor. I have enough funds to put 20 to 25% down on two to four properties. Would you recommend starting with one to two single family or going straight into multifamily if the numbers work? That's a good question. I think um, it totally depends on your personality, also your comfortability with being a landlord. So it sounds like first first deal. Uh, yeah, brand first new deal. investor. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's hard to say, but if it's your personality, if you're okay with just kind of the shotgun approach, I say go multifamily. Uh, we, we, we scaled up to multifamily. Uh, we started with single family. Um, but I think it ultimately just depends on the personality. And if you're okay with just jumping in and figuring it out, I think that's the way to go. That's the way I would go. Um, but I also wouldn't get too caught up on, I don't know if this was the question or not, but getting, uh, too many deals right away, just start, get one, figure it out and scale to the next one. Um, and just kind of grow from there. I think that's great advice is don't get stuck in that analysis paralysis as to what is going to give me the best return. If it's going to give you a return and the deal works, just take action on it. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. 
Download the Redfin app to get started today. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Okay, so now we're going to get into our rookie replies. Our first question is from Tatiana Turner. I'm curious to see how everyone handles if there are a few good properties for sale, but you know you can only afford to buy one of them. The reason I am asking is because we made an offer on a condo, 10K above asking price, no contingencies. While we were waiting for a response, there was another great deal on a HUD home, but I decided not to make an offer on it as we were waiting to hear back from the condo. Fast forward to now, we didn't win our bid on the condo, nor did we get a HUD home because a day before someone made an offer on it. I am curious if it's possible to make few offers on different properties and then back out using due diligence period, or is this not a recommended practice? Okay, so first I just wanna clarify before we go into the question what a HUD home is. So it's the Housing and Urban Development Organization, and it's where they take properties. And when you purchase these properties from HUD, you, they usually go through a period where it's only, um, owner occupied can purchase the property. So you must live there for a certain amount of time. And then if nobody purchases property during that window of time, then it gets opened up, um, to investors where they can purchase the property. The reason behind this is that they want people to fix up the property, live into it and not just have those properties sold to investors. Um, So Jake, what is your recommendation um, on this as to putting in different properties, backing out? I would, uh, I would suggest that honestly, if you have, if you have the intention to buy multiple properties and I don't see an issue with it. However, if your intention is to only buy one property, then I would probably recommend you not go that route. Um, just because it's kind of a, just an ethical kind of way of doing business. I just wouldn't rec if I had a client that wanted to do that, I would probably talk to them a little bit about maybe tiptoeing around that. Yeah. I, so like that actually happened to me when I bought my first deal. So my very first real estate investment, um, it happened almost the exact same way. I put in an offer on a property. I think this was like a probate or, or some other thing that like took, it was a short sale and you know, those take like months to get like approvals or whatever. Um, so I submitted an offer on the short sale, never heard back. So I'm just still out there like submitting offers looking for that next deal. And I ended up finding a property. Uh, the, the offer gets accepted and then literally like maybe two or three days later, that short sale comes back and like, Hey, your offer was accepted as well. I didn't have the DTI or the cap or actually it was a good, I didn't have the DTI to get approved for both of those loans. So what I did was I found a partner. 
And that was what prompted me into my first partnership was I got this great deal, but I can't take it down by myself. Do you want to join me? And if it really is a good deal, like, like if you had this HUD home, that was a, a fantastic deal. Even if that first one got approved, if you could bring someone else in to take that HUD home with you, now you've got two deals under your belt instead of one. Yeah. What, what I think about this is maybe when you are putting in offers is put, um, uh, the offer is good until date. So this way the seller cannot just take their time, make you wait forever. Uh, so when we do letter of intents on commercial properties, we put that this offer is good until a certain date and time. So if you are afraid of running into this situation again, put that, you know, your offer is only valid for the next 24 hours or something like that too, is a, another way you could kind of handle it. Yeah. I think the other piece too is like, Really, it like, and you know, obviously you don't want to make a habit of doing this, but it's like, um, it, like, it depends on how you initially set up the offer, right? Like sometimes when you sub submit an offer to in like to a, uh, to a seller, you like actually fill out the purchase agreement, right? And then when you get it back, it's just a countersigned purchase agreement. So now you guys are like officially in escrow. Other times it's your agent just kind of reaching out to them saying, Hey, here's what our offer is almost like a letter of intent. Like what you talk about, Ashley. And if it's just, if, it, if it's a an verbal LOL, offer, right, if it's just a verbal yeah. offer, even if they come back and say, yes, like you haven't contractually gotten yourself into anything. And if you're really in a pickle, even if you have signed that uh, purchase agreement, if you have another better deal that came in that took the place of this deal because the waiting period was so long and you don't submit your EMD, typically that's going to cancel the contract anyway. So there are ways to, you know, step backwards. And in New York state too, you have to use attorneys for closing and there's always an attorney approval before you'd even do your inspection period or submit your earnest money. So that would be another period where you could back out if they did take too long to come back to you and you found another deal. I was just going to say that um, my for my answer, I think I would have to have two parts to it because I have a realtor answer and then I have an investor answer. Sure, let's my realtor answer is pretty much what I said. Yeah. Um, you know, be careful with it. Obviously, uh, there's codes of ethics and everything, but um, as an investor, you also have to kind of do what you have to do. And right. sometimes it, it gets a little, um, there's some gray areas that you can take advantage of. So, Okay. So for our next rookie reply question, this question comes from Kyle Moore. Remember, if you guys want to submit a question, you can post it into the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. You can send a DM to Tony or I on Instagram, and we may add it onto the show and answer it for you. Okay. So Kyle's question is, how do lenders treat house flipping income? Let's say I made 50K last year from flipping and reported all of it on my taxes. Do lenders consider this 50K into my debt to income ratio when deciding how much of a loan I can qualify for? Just from my experience, if, if you're running your flipping business like a business and you're calculating that as business income and you can show the past two years of, of tax returns of that is your business income, then mm -hmm. in, then... I would understand that it would be considered yes. part yeah, of your TTI as well, right? Yeah, it's like, income, and you're reporting it on your taxes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it would be included in your debt to income ratio. When yeah, you yeah. But to your point, like you want to see at least a couple of years, and I think some lenders, like even if like maybe that flipping income wasn't part of like both years, like so you just had like rental income in year one, and mm -hmm. then you add the flipping income in year two, like they would take like an average of both those years yeah. or something like that. All right. So just one other thing to add on to this, Kyle. So, um, and, and this is maybe more advanced than what we need to get into, but it's maybe it's worth sharing. So we're, we're talking a lot with our CPA right now around how to, um, manage the income coming into our business from our flips. So we have rental income, which is uh, considered more passive. So we get taxed way higher on our flipping income because it's active than we do on our rental income. So what we've set up in our business is 
is a separate LLC. So we have Alpha Geek Capital, which uh, holds all of our short-term rentals. And then we have AGC Home Buyers, which does all of our flipping. And in that flipping entity, um, all of the flips are handled inside of there. And then we essentially are um, invoicing um, our rental entity to our flipping entity for the work that we're doing for managing those projects. And I'm not a CPA, so don't ask me why we're doing that, but there's some way that we're saving on self-employment taxes by doing it that way and kind of keeping everything separate. So if flipping is going to be a big part of what you're doing, uh, there's definitely a financial incentive for you to kind of separate it out as its own thing. And that way you can save on the self-employment taxes. Okay. For our next question, it comes from Dwight Golson. How do you guys go about finding a contractor that will show up when you are ready to start swinging hammers? I have contacted a number of contractors using my own home deck project as the litmus test. I get a number of contractors that have not shown up, never give an estimate or give estimates with only a final number and no details about the job. Estimates that aren't going to pass the test when using hard money loans and draw request. What am I doing wrong? What are you doing right? He must be talking to you, Tony, because I am not doing anything <laughs> right when it comes to rehab. So I, I, real quick, I yeah. actually had, when I did a rookie boot camp call, I had somebody that was saying her husband was a contractor. And the reason they don't give detailed estimates is because it is so time consuming. She said, but if somebody offers to pay him to do that detailed estimate without knowing for sure if they're going to get the job or not, then he will do it. But she had said that was the main reason. So first thing is maybe offering to pay the contractors a fee to actually do the detailed estimate. I just want to piggyback off of that because honestly, sometimes obviously you want to get an estimate. You want to get a detailed scope of work. Um, but also if you, we've had a contractor that was too attentive they were texting us too much, giving us too much information, which ended up being a red flag and he didn't show up. So I think it kind of goes both ways. If you're, to me, I almost see it as a sign that if you're, you're having a little bit of a hard time getting stuff out of your contractor, mm -hmm. they're busy. It's probably somebody that's at least somewhere to start. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Right. And I think the last couple of years, that's what we've seen where all the good contractors have been super busy. So if you do find a contractor that just has nothing to do, that could also be a red flag. And that's literally what happened to us. So we have our, our main crew that we work with, but he was, I think at that point, managing like four rehabs for us. And that was like his capacity. So we had to find another, we, we had a decision. We could either wait for him to finish one of those jobs, which is going to be like, you know, another six to eight weeks, or we go out and find another crew to take on this job so they can start on day one. We went with the latter option where we found another crew. Um, they were free, right? And I was like, great. I, they were like, we can start tomorrow. I was like, perfect. Um, turns out that was you know, a, a bad decision for us because the quality of work, the relationship, like just everything wasn't there. So we initially paid them to start the job. Luckily we only gave them, I think like a 25% deposit up front to get mm -hmm. started. We had to pay them to, to start and then we had to stop them because like it was just too much of a headache to manage them. Yeah. So then we had to pay our other crew to come in and finish the job and the job ended up taking even longer. And probably to correct what they had done wrong. So, yeah, there was just so many different things, right? So sometimes it is better for the property to sit vacant for a month if you can get a crew in there that you know is going to do the job versus having someone that can start on day one that, you know, you got to correct their work, you got to bring another crew in and it ends up costing more money in the long run. Yeah. And another thing that we actually started doing is building our own scope of work and then having the contractors build their price off of that. So they go in and kind of can fill in, you know, here's the bathroom, the different pieces of bathroom, this is how much it will cost, things like that. Instead of them having to do the line detail, we're telling them 
what we want out of it and kind of building it that way. And then they just fill in the blanks. I think um, uh, probably the obvious answer too is just going back to just finding the contractor, I think would be, you know, obviously asking your network and asking Mm -hmm. for referrals from other investors that are, are doing what you want to do or finding your unique strength or your unique advantage. Uh, The one thing for us was my wife worked in commercial general contracting. And so we basically made relationships with guys on her job sites and they would either come do side work for us Mm -hmm. or they knew somebody that did it full time that could help us out. So that's, that might not be Dwight's situation, but that could be somebody else's situation or that kind of gets that creative flow of figuring out other ways of finding people. I, that is a great point because my newest business partner that I took on last year, half of the contractors that we use now, maybe even more are from his network. He worked construction. He was, did Mason work on big buildings and just having those relationships with other people that were on the, the job site too. Let me ask this. If you're going into a new market, you knew no one, mm-hmm. what would you do to like find that crew? The first thing I would do is join like the, busy bee neighborly Facebook group because like at least where we invest now that's half of the posts are about I need this work done then people will comment all of their referrals from that and then I guess whoever else I'm building my team off of ask for recommendations agents even lenders that's exactly what we did so we just did a flip this year down in Casa Grande which is about an hour south of here and we had no contacts down there so I mean we were close enough to where we could head down there ourselves, but we had to kind of, it was, I call it our training wheels flip out of, out of state flip. Cause it far enough away where we didn't want to be down there. But if, you know, things really hit the fan, we could, we could head down there, but we did exactly that. I, I called an agent that I had a previous relationship with and I knew he was working that market. And I just said, Hey, we had a guy bail. Who do you have? And I just kind of started there. Yeah, exactly. Those two things, right? Like mm-hmm. the referrals and the the Facebook groups, I think are such an underserved yeah. place to go. The bigger pockets forums is another great place. So I think that that finding that community of where people are hanging out in that city and then trying to infiltrate that and find those recommendations. Yeah. The hardest part is getting other investors to give up who the contractors are that you use. That's why you got to go to the the Facebook groups where yeah. it's just, you know, people with their primary residence right. where they got the remodel done, they're happy they're and they don't need any yeah, other but projects done. if it's a flipper done. who's like, this yeah. is like their bread and butter, like yeah. they're going to be like, I actually do all my flips myself. I do all the work myself. There is no contractor. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our last question today comes from Julian Beeks. Hi, I'm looking to purchase my first property in the Northwest Indiana region. But the problem I'm running into is whether it'll be better to flip or fix up a rental. My question is, how do you determine whether it'll be better to flip or have rentals in your area? Like, where is the best place to find information needed to make this decision? Yeah, I can talk about this because we have a, a flip right now that we're we're literally having this discussion on. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to, okay, so first let me say, part of it is like, do you need the capital? So we sold some flips we did last year, some turnkey short-term rentals, because we needed that capital to fund purchases of other properties that we felt were better investments for us at the time. Um, So like I've been talking about this cabin that we're closing on with the indoor pool. We funded that purchase by selling turnkey rentals, uh, short-term rentals in Joshua Tree. But that pool cabin in Tennessee is probably going to produce more revenue than those properties that we sold in Joshua Tree because it's got an indoor pool and it's brand new and all these other things. So I think that's the first thing is like, do you need the capital and, and, and you know, what's the best use of that capital? I think the second thing that we look at is 
if we were to keep this as a rental, how will the cash flow compare to the capital that we could make? So given like where interest rates are right now, how much uh, margin you have between what your, your project costs are and what the ARV is, all of those things factor into how much cash flow you're going to get on a regular basis. And if the cash flow is great, then maybe it does make sense to keep it, right? Because you're going to get that long-term appreciation. You're going to get the tax benefits. Um, but if the cash flow is slim, but the capital you get from selling is pretty big, then maybe it makes more sense to flip. So those are, those are some of the things we look at in our business, try and make that decision. Yeah, I think the best thing is run the scenarios. Just like you said, look at, you know, what the numbers are today and then also how you expect the market to be. So if you're going to be doing a flip, what is it going to look like after you finish the rehab? Is the market going to be hot? Do you expect the market to be going down where maybe it's not going to, you know, benefit you to sell the property and to keep up, but keeping those exit strategies. I mean, I think it's great that you have those two options at hand. Sometimes people get into a property where they don't have the option of turning a flip into a rental because they would have to leave so much money into the deal. So I think it's uh, great that you're in that situation where you have two different exit strategies at hand. I think just adding to that, kind of going back to the flip that I was just talking about, uh, we kind of had the same scenario and kind of took the approach that you were talking about um, where we looked at it as a rental and as a flip and the cash flow that we were going to make as a rental just didn't make sense with where the rates were going, um, how much money we had to trap into the deal. And then what, what we could have done by just flipping and selling. And also I think the thing is when you're looking at that and you're running those numbers, you're really looking at highest and best use as well. And so when we were looking at how to flip it or keep it as a rental, what level of renovation were we going to be putting into that? It didn't make sense for that property being where it was to have high-end finishes and take out the carpet and put tile in and everything like that. So I think just knowing what your end use is, running those numbers, and then kind of making your strategy based on that makes sense. Okay, you guys, those are the four rookie reply questions we have for you today. Jake, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was awesome to have you here. Uh, Jake, can you let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Jake underscore Kane, K-A-I-N, and on Facebook, Bigger Pockets. And if you guys want more information about our monthly meetup, just shoot me a DM. Well, thank you so much. And we especially appreciate you coming to meet us in person. Too. No, this is this is a unique experience. So I really appreciate you guys. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Wednesday with a guest. We'll see you guys then. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. 
There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.